We are back in the study of Ted Tripp's book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. Just a brief review. Tripp's core principles of parenting are uh, drawn from the Bible. They are, number one, that we are an authority. Parents are a God-given authority in our children's lives. We're going to talk a lot about that one today. Two is shepherding. Parents are shepherds. That means that we are called to protect our children, but also that we are called to train them and teach them, to help them think and live in a biblical world and life view, to see God and know God, uh, to know themselves, to know the world around them through the lens of what God has revealed to be true about Himself and, and the world in His Word. Uh, and the third thing is that... Uh, Biblical parenting is gospel-centered. So by this, trip means that the gospel is the message that we keep coming back to with our children, but also that we are seeking heart change in our children. Uh, The good news of Jesus Christ is not just a message to be believed, but is a message to be internalized. It's a message uh, that changes us and, and ultimately calls for our life in response. So not only are we talking about sharing the gospel with our kids and all of God's truth for that matter, but also shepherding them as the gospel changes them and teaching them how to live a new life in Christ empowered by the Holy Spirit. Parents are authorities, parents are shepherds, and biblical parenting is gospel-centered. Aiming at the heart, which we talked about last week, involves our thinking and our feeling and our doing. The heart is uh, made up of our mind and our affections, emotions, and our will. So we're aiming at all of that uh, with the truth, and um, not only so that our kids would receive Christ, but, but that they would grow up to maturity in Him. We're studying chapter 4 today. It is titled, You're in Charge, about the God-given authority of parents. But hopefully we will incorporate all of those biblical principles as we go. So, to start the chapter, Tripp says that our culture does not like authority. I think it's a bit of a generalization, but I think it works in general. Uh, Lots of people that don't like to be under authority, I think we see that one as pretty widespread. And then those that don't like to be in authority as well. So, can you think of some examples of both of those, those that don't like to be under authority, those that don't like to be in authority. And then, what would the biblical response be? Like, if that's what they're saying, well, what do we say is the right thought? Yeah, the boss. You know, girls rule the world, world, girl power, all of that stuff. Like, yeah. So I don't, I think that's a pretty, you know, widespread, just general culture, you know, thing of that if you say like, oh, yes, I love being in submission to my loving husband. It's like, huh? Yeah. Like that's, that's just upset. Or even I love being in submission to my 
vastly imperfect husband. Right. Because that would be a biblical position as well. Uh, but I think you're exactly right. Uh, nobody's going to tell me what to do. You know, I think believing the lie that my freedom is found in my autonomy. I am my own authority. You're not going to be my authority. Uh, the truth is, though, that God assigns roles in the family. Of course, parents with children, but also husbands and wives. And uh, He requires those under authority to submit to authority and respect the authority that is there, even when that authority is not respectable in the way that they wield their authority, right? The, the assignment is still the same, uh, sort of like in the military. But a refusal to submit to the authority that God has assigned you is ultimately a rejection of His authority because you're saying to Him, I don't really care what you say. I'm going to do it my way. And, uh, you know, we know actually that walking in His paths under His authority and under whatever other authorities that He's assigned to us, that is the path of freedom. Not our autonomy, but under His authority. So, that's a great example. Anything else you can think about? Whether those that don't like to be under authority or those that don't like to be in authority. Great point. Put it on their wives or just kind of let their children decide what to do. You're exactly right. Um, and we're going to focus more on that in a bit, but that's a that's a great uh, point. Was that not the sin of Adam as he stood there? Absolutely. Eve cake the apple. Absolutely. He was there with her. With her, meaning standing next to her. So you you could argue, you know, the first sin, we often look to Eve. But I, you could certainly argue that the first sin was uh, the sin of Adam's passivity not to take responsibility to lead his wife as God has in, had instructed him. And indeed, the sin gets credited to Adam, right? We all died in Adam uh, when he sinned. So I think that would be the more... Uh, and, and that is, from the first sin to today, a sin that plagues all men... Uh, Anywhere is the sin of owning the responsibility that that we have been assigned. What else? Don't like to be in authority, don't like to be under authority. I can think uh, sometimes, uh, like in the workplace, a boss made some decisions, you just feel like this is a very dumb decision. I'm not going to carry it. That's right. A boss makes a decision, you think, seriously, this guy is in charge. And, uh, but that's a good, that's a biblical principle of submitting to the authority that God has assigned to you in the workplace. And, uh, or we could extend that to government or uh, things like that, where there are people in charge, they are imperfect people, but that's assumed in the whole assignment, right? God knows that they're imperfect, and yet He still gives us the responsibility of submission. Jason deals with sort of the not wanting to be in authority in the workplace also if he has managers that really like the idea of earning the manager's 
paycheck, but then they don't really want to deal with the issues that come up, you know, when somebody's not doing their job well, they don't want to go address it because they don't want to be mean. Yeah. And, you know, like, what if she cries and, you know, that kind of thing. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to go correct, but, like, she's not doing her job. And that's right. And he's going, well, that's kind of your job is you're supposed to go that's right. she's doing her job. That's why you're which is important. So you're saying then authority comes with inherent responsibility. And uh, we, we don't like that sometimes. We want the, the authority, but not the weight that comes with that. What about the whole sexuality and gender issues in our culture? Uh, the, on the one side, you know, there's those saying, you're not going to tell me uh, who I am, and you're not going to tell me the parameters of sexuality. Uh, it's my body, but the biblical response, of course, God assigns gender and uh, God defines the parameters of our sexuality. But then on the other side, I think the, the church doesn't like to be in authority. And you can say, how are we in authority? Well, we have the words of life and um, that is authoritative. And so we're not, um, you know, like in a hierarchy, but we have the truth. And so I think that we don't like to be in authority because we don't want to define people's sexuality for them. Uh, We'd rather just sit idly by and not speak into those issues. What's good for them is good for them. I'm not going to get into it. They seem nice enough. Uh, Who's to tell them? But the truth is God has spoken. And and we're just here to say what He has said. (laughs) You know... Um, or what about, we've talked about kids at school, parents of kids who are at school, uh, less and less respect for teachers as an authority, which makes the teachers tired. And, uh, you know, God is our ultimate authority, but He assigns other authorities throughout our lives that we are to respect and submit to. And I think likewise, many teachers, and I'm sure other teachers could speak to this, but Teachers probably run the classroom, many of them, uh, in a way that would have never passed 30 years ago, <laughs> don't like to be in the authority and, and you know, kind of own the responsibility that comes with that. Uh, likewise, parents let kids run the home just like they run the classroom in some cases and we don't want to own the authority that comes with kind of charting the direction and taking the responsibility. They're out of control. I don't know what to do. Well... We own the authority that God has given us and we establish the trajectory of of our lives. And it's not to say that uh, they just get in line, but we can expect, and I think one of the things that we'll see is that God's uh, ways will be fruitful in our families, in our communities, and and so on. So, uh, the point is, whether we realize it or not, the cultural tendencies, they influence us. And so the tendency to shirk responsibility uh, that has been assigned to me like Adam did. And the tendency to believe the lie like Eve did that to get out from under authority is the path to my freedom. Uh, These are not uh, new things. They're pronounced in our culture, but they are very old. They date back to the beginning of time uh, in the Garden of Eden. Satan ultimately sought to get out from under God's authority. And uh, Adam shirked his responsibility to lead, and Eve believed the lie that my freedom's going to be, you know, over here, out from under these rules, and, and with this uh, serpent here. 
These are age-old sin issues, and where they reside in us, we need to pay attention, and we need to repent of them and uh, walk in God's paths. But not only is it those that don't like to be under authority and those that don't like to be in authority, there's also a misunderstanding of how authority gets established. So Tripp makes this point that we tend to think that authority either gets established by force on the one hand or by consent on the other hand. So how do we see uh, that happening culturally? Can you think of an example? Either authority gets established by force or by consent. One example of the whole authority by force is the liberal jihad, as I've heard it called. But uh, cake bakers in Oregon, you know, you're going to bake me a cake or else. And, you know, they fine them 150 grand and put them out of business. And it's just, you will adhere to these principles or we will destroy you. And that's the whole MO. Um, You know, the whole issue was a cake baker who, because of religious conviction, didn't want to bake a cake for a gay wedding. And uh, this likewise happened to a florist in another place, and I don't remember where. But this is in the florist case, this is a woman who had a relationship with this man for like 10 years and is a friend to him. Well, was, I guess. But they, uh, you know, she was glad to serve him otherwise. Yes, you can have flowers, of course, and I'll make them beautiful for you. But when it came to the issue of, will you make flowers for my wedding, she said... You know I love you, but no, I won't do that. I don't celebrate your wedding with you. I'm not going to glorify it. I don't agree with it. So I love you, but I'm not going to make... And then the whole thing, she gets fined and shut down and everything else. And there's a big lawsuit and everything else. So I think that's one of the examples where it is, we're going to establish authority by force. Of course, uh, the whole Muslim thing too. Um, what about parenting though we do this right I mean we're gonna you will do this or else we kind of resort to the wrath and punishment model of uh, we're gonna establish our authority by force what about consent you think of one um Back to, this, back to the marriage issue, we do this, husbands do, we're timid to speak, timid to lead, um, so we, we won't speak into our wives' lives, you know, because of timidity or we're scared of their response or however. Um, we think, you know, if they agree to let me, then if they consent to my authority, then, then we can, it's time to speak, when in reality, no, God has assigned the authority regardless of how receptive. Uh, now, there are good ways and bad ways to administer that and kindness and patience and all of that, but I think <clears throat> there's one. And I think wives, not all wives, of course, but some wives operate out of a mindset of, you can lead me if I let you. And so it's kind of the consent. Uh, if I agree that you can you know, speak into this, then um, anyway... Again, the biblical pattern is God has assigned roles, duties come with those roles, and uh, so on. And I think we do this in the church when we think about sharing the gospel. Um, 
you may have used the terminology or heard the terminology that we have to earn the right to be heard. And I understand in one sense of like, it's a biblical idea that our words would be adorned with good works and that they would know even they would know our Father in Heaven by our good works. Uh, so there's nothing wrong with that. But I think that, you know, we are in error when we think, well, once they've kind of agreed to let us have a seat at the table and then speak into it, then it's time to start speaking. But I think the biblical pattern is simply, thus says the Lord, regardless of how receptive you are. Again, um, you know, whether they're going to kill me or whether they're going to invite me in, you see a traveling community speaking God's word into the world. And uh, anyway, and in parenting as well. So what is the biblical response? How do we fight this tendency in all of us? Uh, The tendency not to own our authority as parents or to wield our authority in ungodly ways. Well, it starts with a biblical understanding of what God has called us to do, who He has called us to be, and He has called us to be in charge. So in order to understand that, we need to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1. Go ahead and turn there to Genesis chapter 1. I will read verses 26 through 28. Genesis chapter 1. And the Lord said, that is not the right one. Genesis 1, 26-28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, keep your Bible open there, and uh, the first thing that we see is that we are made in the image of God. Now, there are a lot of things that that means. We could talk about how God has always been in relationship within Himself, Father, Son, and Spirit, and one of the things that that means is that we were made for relationship with God and relationship with other people. But another thing that we need to think about when we think about the image of God is uh, that in the ancient Near Eastern culture that this was originally spoken into, right? That's the original hearing audience. There's a particular culture and context there that they're hearing it in. It was thought in that culture that only kings were the images of God on earth. Now God is speaking into that ancient Near Eastern culture and saying, it is not only the kings who are my images, my likenesses on the earth. But all people are my images and likenesses. Uh, Richard Pratt talks about this in his third millennium course. Many of you have gone through that. The course is called Kingdom, Covenants, and Canon in the Old Testament. I believe it's the second lecture, and you can find that online on Third Millennium's website. Again, Kingdom, Covenants, and Canon in the Old Testament. And, uh, but Pratt says, Kings were thought to stand between heaven and earth. 
and it was believed that kings and emperors had the special task of learning the will or the wisdom of the gods in heaven and then using their royal power to enforce that heavenly will on earth. So the kings learned the wisdom of the gods and the will of the gods, and then by their divine power, they're going to enforce it on the earth. But God is saying all people are created in His image and likeness. Therefore, all people are designed to be kings, in a sense, of God on the earth. Designed to learn His wisdom and apply His wisdom in real time on the earth. To learn His will and to bring His will to pass on earth as it is in heaven. It's His sovereign plan. It's His sovereign will. But God has designed it to where we have responsibility in bringing His will to pass. So we see this language of dominion in the text. Human beings were designed to serve a kingly function as image bearers of God called to have dominion over God's creation. To learn His will and ultimately to establish His will on the earth. Remember, there was just a garden. And the garden was essentially going to expand. They were there with God having dominion under God's ultimate dominion, and we're going to spread this dominion to the ends of the earth. Of course, sin came and wrecked the image of God in us. Sin came and wreaked havoc on God's plan. But it did not destroy or remove God's image in us, and it did not ultimately undo God's plan. So if you've probably heard before, Genesis 1 and 2 is about creation. Genesis 3 is about the fall into sin. And from the middle of Genesis 3 till the end of the Bible, it is about God's redemption of His creation. It is about Him restoring creation in Christ to His original design. So, sin wrecked the image, but God is restoring the image. Restoring His people to His original design. A part of which includes being kings upon the earth. Learning His wisdom, learning His will, bringing that wisdom and that will to pass, bringing it down on earth as it is in heaven. So, how does that relate to parenting? Look at the text in verse 28. A key part of this ever-expanding dominion, God's will being further and further established on the earth, it involves being fruitful and multiplying, having children. Therefore, A key responsibility in the creation design of parenting is to learn the will of God and bring it down to earth, not only for ourselves, but also to teach it to our children so that they too can participate as kings of God. To teach them the truth about who God is, who they are, about sin, about redemption in Christ, and about how redemption in Christ is not just about getting your get-out-of-hell-free card, though we're thankful that that's a part of what we're doing, but ultimately it is about God restoring His creation to His original design. We are kings on the earth. We have great responsibility to learn God's will, to learn His wisdom as He's revealed in His Word and bring it to bear on the earth. So this is what is behind, really, all of the Bible. But this is what is behind passages on parenting like Genesis 18, Deuteronomy 6, 
Ephesians 6. These are key passages on parenting, but we have to understand the background. We have to understand what was God's original intention and what is God ultimately doing in Christ. He's restoring His original intention. So, just a brief walk through these passages. Um, I'll just read them. Genesis 18, verses 18 and following. says, uh, The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. That's coming from the covenant with Abraham that God just made, right? The covenant of grace. Uh, Who is the nation that God has promised to make Abraham into? Israel, that's one step, but then it keeps going. Who else? Who? Who? The church. Yeah, so Israel is like, I hate to say phase one or something like that, but I mean, as God's redemption progresses throughout history, Israel is a huge part of that. But it says, not only is this nation in one nation, the nation of Israel, but going to all nations of the earth, right? So ultimately, we've heard Father Abraham has many sons. I mean, we are children of Abraham, those who have faith in Christ, we are a part of these promises of salvation that were originally made to Abraham and have been being fleshed out through Israel and now to all nations. So, look at this. We see uh, the, the, the security of the promises. Abraham will surely become a great nation. And this will surely go to the ends of the earth. This is God's grace in salvation. Verse 19, I have chosen him. It's all about God. It's all about what he has done. I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. So do you get that? It's all about God. It's all about His promise. It's all about His grace. I did it. I chose Him. I made these promises. I'm going to make Him into a nation. It's going to go to all nations. And I've chosen Him so that He will command His children to keep the ways of the Lord so that I can bring to Him what I have promised. The way that God brings His will to be is through human agency. is through the believing response of His people to trust Him and take up the responsibility that He's given us and to be kings upon the earth. To learn His will, to learn His wisdom, to bring it to pass in our homes and to the ends of the earth. Okay, we don't have time to go to the others. You know the Deuteronomy 6 that uh, parents are called to train up their children and teach them diligently when we wake up, when we lie down, when we sit at the table, when we walk by the way. What's that about? That's about redemption. That's about all of this creation design being restored. That's about this whole uh, kingly function that we have to, to learn the wisdom of God, to train up our children in the wisdom of God so that God's creation design is restored. Ephesians 6, which we studied that uh, our children are to obey us and we're called to train them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What's that about? That's about God restoring His creation design in Christ to spread His wisdom and His will. The thing I want you to see is, it's all God and we have a serious responsibility. The way that He brings what He's promised to pass is by us taking responsibility to command them in the ways of the Lord. So then, what is a Christian parent? We are not just care providers. We're not just here to give them food and clothing and shelter and take them on trips to have fun and sign them up for sports and other extracurricular activities and put them through college and pay for a wedding or a rehearsal dinner, depending. 
uh, some of those may not even be involved in the actual duties assigned to parents. And not that those things are bad. But being a Christian parent is much more than that. We are the Lord Jesus' kingly subjects on the earth. We are His agents that He uses to establish His rule. As it relates to our children, that means to establish His rule in our homes. Like Abraham, to command our children and our household, so this would keep going generationally, uh, to keep the way of the Lord so that the Lord will bring about what He's promised to bring about. We have authority to act on God's behalf. We are commissioned by God to be raising our children in in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, to teach them the ways of God in order to bring His will to pass in their lives. So, number one, we had better learn what He has revealed in His Word. What is that wisdom? And what is that will? And we need not fear owning that authority to be that authority in our children's lives, no matter what the culture says about authority. We can have confidence to act because we have been commissioned by the Lord Jesus on His mission. And that doesn't mean that we just have a right to act. We have a God-given mandate to act. So Tripp uses the illustration of child abuse, and I think it's very fitting so that we understand this. If you're a teacher and you discover that one of your students is being sexually abused by a parent at home, You do not just have a right to report that to the authorities. You have a federal mandate to report that to the authorities. And if you don't, you are guilty of negligence in that situation. So it is with God. We don't just have a right to act on His behalf. We have a federal mandate to act. We have the authority that He has given us, but that authority comes with great responsibility in learning His will, learning His wisdom, and bringing that will and that wisdom to bear in our children's lives. Which means we do not have the right to shape our children as pleases us or as pleases the culture. We are here to do the Lord's work. We are under His authority. We are His ambassadors, which means it's all His. We're just His representatives. We're called to obey Him according to His command. So ultimately, whatever authority He assigns to us, we're under His authority. So, question perhaps just to ponder uh, this week. Is this the vision of parenting that you've always had? Or does this expand it a touch? I think for me it has expanded it a touch. Um, What does that change about the way that we view our responsibility? What does that change about the... uh, primary practices of our home and uh, what we're seeking to do. You know, he asked last chapter or chapter before, I mean, is everything centered around knowing God and loving God and serving God and the way that we think and speak and do and feel and all of this is about learning His wisdom and His will and bringing that wisdom and will to pass in our homes. Um, On our end, our... Discipline and instruction of our children is not primarily about our relationship with them, though it involves our relationship with them, but it is about our relationship with God. He has assigned us a role, and certain responsibilities come with that role. So I think there's a good example. Uh, We're running out of time, so I don't want to do as much, but there's a good example on page 29 and 30 in the book. 
the father says, you didn't obey daddy, did you? The child says, no. The father says, do you remember what God says daddy must do if you disobey? The child says, spank me. The father says, that's right, I must spank you. If I don't, then I would be disobeying God. Um, you know, you would, would you want me to disobey God? No, that wouldn't be good. So, I mean, regardless of if you use the exact wording, the principle is I'm connecting for the child that I'm here sent by God to do His work. I'm commissioned by Him ultimately to connect you <clears throat> with Him, but He's given me some stuff too, and I've got to obey Him. And children are imitators, so they're going to learn how to obey Him when we obey Him. Right? They're going to learn how to disobey Him when we disobey Him. Um, or when we, they'll learn how to repent when we repent. Um, and on the child's end, our discipline and instruction of them is not primarily about their relationship with us, it's about their relationship with God. Uh, we're, we're just His agents to do His work. So, how do we tend to make it about them and us instead of them and Him or us and Him? Well, I think anger, you know, that's a big one that's, that's mentioned in the chapter. We can be angry and we can control our children with our anger. We can shut it down with our anger, but... We can do that and all the while never truly do what God has assigned to us, which is to connect them with Him and uh, teach them how to follow Him. So I think it just brings new light to what is our anger doing. This is why it's so important when we discipline them to talk about their sin, not just as what did you do wrong, but as ultimately what, why is that bad? What is the issue with that? It's their relationship with God. This is rebellion against God. And these are the things that we have to communicate to our children. And then, of course, teaching them about God's grace in Christ and the forgiveness of sins and following Him in new life in Christ. Remember, discipline is not punishment. And we muddy it up when we get angry, right? Because we make it about wrath and punishment. But discipline is not punishment. Discipline is love. Discipline is grace to our children it is God's kindness to them as we correct them and teach them uh, the paths of life. So, God has given us a holy task. We muddy it up with our sinful anger and I am chief among them. Uh, another way I think we muddy it up is just by not being clear about what they did. You know, we, They know we're mad. <laughs> but they don't really know what they did and they don't really know why that's bad or whatever it is. But I mean, I think it just there's, there's a need to make sure that we deal with our own sin before we discipline, not to discipline in anger, but also to be clear. What is the issue we're addressing? Why is that an issue? And what is the you know, right way in response? Then back to the other point that was made, some of us don't muddy it up because we don't ever get it off the shelf. You know, we, we just neglect the duty and responsibility either by neglecting to teach our children and instruct them in the ways of the Lord day in, day out, or by neglecting to discipline and correct. Just to remind uh, or restate what we've said, we are agents of God's redemption to our children. We serve a kingly function. So as we grow in our wisdom and understanding of what God has done and how, who He has revealed Himself to be, we bring that wisdom and understanding to bear. Um, God has made some amazing promises to our children about their salvation in Christ, about saving them from sin, about restoring them to His original creation design, and including them in His work. 
And He's assigned us to bring His will to bear in their life. A holy task indeed, and I think a very hopeful vision of what Christian parenting is all about. Uh, So if this hasn't been what we've been up to, we confess our sins to God. He's faithful to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness because Jesus paid them all. Um, Seek repentance. Ask for grace that we would bear fruit in keeping in repentance and walk in His paths. Let us pray. Father, Maybe we've never thought about the kind of authority you've given us. And uh, it is hard for us to grasp. It's beyond what we've tended to think about ourselves in this kingly function. Um, You are sovereign king over even the kings of this earth. And we are your under kings. Lord... um, Help us to comprehend the authority that you have assigned to us. And help us also to understand the great responsibility that comes with that authority. Not only in our parenting, uh, but in every sphere of our influence, uh, that we are your kings on the earth to bring about your wisdom and your will uh, as we learn it and uh, serve you. Lord, might this be hopeful in that You are doing something ultimately to uh, restore Your original design in Christ. And uh, might we rest in the fact that it is not all on our shoulders to do it. It is Your work and You have promised, You have said it will be, and so it will be. And yet, might we be humbled at the responsibility we have. And uh, might we uh, walk in Your strength to do well with what you've given us. Lord, we pray your grace and mercy be poured out on our children, and we pray you'd give us wisdom and understanding uh, as to our role in that. Uh, Thank you for this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.